through 12. The title is Free to Love, and the gospel of grace sets us free that we would love others. And, and really, I look at this sermon, it's going to be tied into the next two sermons, um, just very, very tight-knit. Um, and, and these are good text. Uh, today, I, I see this as kind of like a foretaste, like an appetizer for the next two uh, messages, the next two passages of Scripture where we will be. And, and I encourage you, I mean, I encourage you to be here every week, um, but especially these next three weeks, um, we're just going to see what it actually means to live by faith in Jesus. What is the Spirit doing in us and through us? And uh, it's been very helpful for me just this last week. Uh, this text and the next two texts have greatly helped me just understand just my role as a pastor, what it is to be a husband, what it is to be a father, what it is to be a Christian. And so I greatly encourage you to, to be here, to wrestle with God's word, because as we look, what does it mean that we live by faith through the Spirit? What is God doing there? And, and what, what type, what, what does that look like visibly in the Christian life? And, and that's really where we're going to be, and we're going to try to get into the nuts and bolts and, and how God is working uh, by faith through, or through the Spirit in us. Uh, so one thing we do here is we stand when we read Galatians or when we read the Word. And so I encourage you to go ahead and stand. We do so in order to honor God. We believe that His Word comes to us fully inspired. And so we do this to acknowledge the authority of Scripture. Chapter 5, verse 2, we'll go to the verse 12. Look, I, Paul, say to you, that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor, circumc nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling, troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Let's pray. Father, give us wisdom today. Help us just to see the incompatibility of the law with the gospel. And Lord, may, may we just see the joy of the gospel today and, and how you save us and what that looks like as we live by faith through the Spirit. God, I pray, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us a hunger for your word this morning. Give us clarity. God, lead us to repentance where we need to repent. And God, we just praise you this morning. We praise you that you've given us your word. We praise you that through the power of the Spirit, we can understand your word. And so God, with great boldness, we just ask, give us understanding and wisdom as we read and we study. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. I want to begin, I want to draw your attention to verse 7. Notice Paul says, uh, you were running 
well. And so what we're going to do, we're going to look at, to back up a moment, we're going to look at, Paul kind of gives a warning in a sense. He's going to show the incompatibility of the law and, and the gospel. And then what he's going to do is he's going to show what the Christian life actually looks like lived out. What does it look like to live out by a gospel of grace? And so he begins, or, or we're going to begin in verse 7. Paul says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? And so Paul, he's concerned with the, with the lifestyle of the Galatians. He acknowledges that when they first heard the gospel, when they first heard the grace of God, they received it, and they were living in accordance with the gospel. But now something has happened. They've been hindered. They've been hindered. And so I want to point out two things. Um, number one, we can be hindered in our Christian walk. Do you know that? Like, we can be hindered in our Christian walk. Believing in Jesus Christ does not put some magical bubble of protection around us, and then we have no problems, no struggles, no temptations. We can be hindered. And as we go through the text today, what I want to encourage you is think about, to wrestle, am I being hindered? Have I been hindered? Let me ask you this. Do you know what it would look like to be hindered? Can you answer that question? Are you living in a way that denies the gospel of grace? So as we go through here, hopefully you'll gain a better understanding, and, and we'll, we'll look at what this is. Secondly, um, our Christian walk matters. Paul, he, he sees that the Galatians, they're not living in obedience to Christ, and therefore he's calling them to repent. You see, Christianity is not just about theories and thoughts and, and things on paper. Christianity is about a God created us in his image that we would love him and that we would worship him but because of sin we've been separated and so therefore he sends his son jesus to die on a cross so that he would pay the penalty for our sins that we who believe in him would be regenerated made new that we would then live like him so there's a purpose there. We'd be saved so that we would live like him. And Paul's talked a little about this throughout the letter so far. Not a lot. He's going to mostly talk about it now in the last chapters. But remember Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live by faith, in the, live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he says, look, I no longer live. Christ lives in me, and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. So we live differently. We live by faith. Christ lives in us. So because of faith in Jesus Christ, we now live differently. And the Galatians have been hindered, and therefore Paul is coming to them, calling this into question. And so why, why do we bring this up, that, that our Christian life matters and lifestyle matters? Because I have noticed over just the years, and you probably have seen this too, that I think there's a disconnect with Christians and, and, and when we begin thinking about lifestyle. Um, often I've been asked, many of you have asked me, and, and through, just throughout life I've been asked the question, um, they will say, hey, my, my mom or my, my spouse, maybe a child, uh, maybe, um, maybe a parent, and they'll say, look, they were baptized a long time ago. They say that they were a Christian, but they don't live like Jesus at all, you know, maybe for a decade, maybe for years. Are they a Christian? And, and so what, what they're asking is, are they saved? Does lifestyle matter? That's what they're asking. They, they don't live like Jesus. There's nothing in their life that shows a love for Jesus 
Does that matter? What we're going to see today is that our faith in Christ is visible, meaning it will be revealed. Now, this doesn't mean we don't, have, we don't have times like a roller coaster where we have our ups and downs and we have our troubles and there are times we are hindered. But what we're going to see is that our Christian life is, is, is visible. Apple trees produce apples. Lemon trees produce lemons. What's in the root is shown by the fruit, right? So what, what's in the heart will get shown in our words and our actions. Now, to be clear, I am not communicating. I don't want to communicate, and please don't misunderstand me. We are not saved by our lifestyle at all. I'm not communicating that at all, so do not hear that. But our lifestyle will give evidence to who we're trusting in, to what we do believe in. This is why Paul, he does not glaze over the Galatians' present disobedience because of past obedience. He doesn't just say, what. You were really faithful back then. I'm not worried about you all now, despite the fact that you don't live at all like you love Jesus. Assurance, he's bringing to, he's looking at present obedience in the gospel. And so really what Paul is doing, he's calling them to repent. I want to challenge you. This is what we are to do regularly. If, if the Spirit moves you to repent today because you realize, wow, I, I have been hindered in my, my Christian walk. I haven't been living the way God is calling me to repentance is an act of faith that is evidence of your salvation and that is to be a daily activity of a believer so if you get led to repentance don't oh man that's that's a terrible thing that's a good thing and so when we talk about repentance here don't think man i hope i don't get led to repentance today. i hope i'm not one of those christians no we're all going to be needing to repent on a regular basis. So, so don't put this in some weird scale. We're regularly going to be tempted, and we're going to have trials. And at times, we will be hindered. When that happens, we repent, which is evidence of our faith and love for God. And so what we're going to do now is Paul's going to show the incompatibility of the law and the gospel. And then after that, we're going to see what it does look like to actually live by the gospel of grace. And so the incompatibility of law and gospel. If you look at verses 2 and 3, Paul says, If you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. So I, I want to point out just two things here. Number one, we nullify Christ's work for us by trusting in the law. We nullify Christ's work for us. For us by trusting the law. To think that we can add to the work of Jesus nullifies what, it, what he has done. Meaning it cancels it. Meaning if we believe that Jesus has died for us, but he doesn't actually accomplish our salvation, and therefore I need to complete his work, then we're not believing and trusting in the Jesus of the Bible. And so uh, to illustrate this, imagine you have um, imagine you have a signed Babe Ruth baseball. I mean, just imagine you have this. It's up on your trophy case or bookshelf, and you're just like, man, this is awesome. But then someday you need to sell it. Terrible decision, but maybe you need to sell it. Maybe it's for money. And you say, I need to sell this. And you look at it, and you go, wow, the signature is a little faded. I really want people to know it's signed by Babe Ruth. And so you go buy a really expensive pen, and you come, and you just really carefully, you trace over Babe Ruth's signature. And now the good thing is you can really see it. But what have, you, what have you done? What have you accomplished? By adding your works to that ball, 
you've made it worthless. You've made it worthless. No longer is it priceless. That's what happens when we add our works to Christ. We say, look, it's just not good enough. Maybe I could make his works look a little better. Maybe I should do circumcision. Maybe I should do these acts of the law. And then I'll really show my worth as a Christian. What we do is say we don't actually trust in Christ. Secondly, we cannot bear the weight of the law. The law is not a buffet. So it's not sizzler. Does anyone, does anyone remember Sizzler still? You know, I was actually like, can I use this illustration now? When I was growing up, there was a Sizzler that was right next to us. Man, fine dining at Sizzler back then. It was fun. Uh, I don't even know where a Sizzler is now. South to come away. There it is. I couldn't tell you. So awesome. That's really funny. Um, look, at, look at verse 3. Paul's saying, Look, if you want to prove you're good enough for heaven, if you want your works to, to, to be shining brightly, to show everyone why you are worthy of heaven, if you want to go that route, you cannot pick and choose the laws you want. You must keep every law. This is how James says it in his letter, James 2.10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable to all of it. Notice here in Galatians 5.3, he is obligated to keep the whole law. Let me ask you, no mistakes ever. Total, absolute perfection. Can you bear that burden? Can any of us bear that? I mean, think about it. Do you love people all the time perfectly? Do you always just demonstrate patience and calmness and gentleness all the time? I mean, if you're in our house, I mean, that's what you would see all the time, right? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Do you ever struggle with evil, evil thoughts, with anger? You struggle with lust? Do you ever covet things? I mean, th- if we want to say, you have, to, you have to keep the whole law, that's a burden we can't bear. This is what Paul is doing here. He's showing, you want to keep the law? You won't have Christ if you do that. And it is a burden that will crush you because all you will hear is do more, do more, do more, do more, do more, do more with no relief ever. But isn't that why Christ came? Jesus comes to save us from the law, to redeem us from the bondage of slavery so that we could have life. Jesus comes because we can't keep the law, because we're not perfect, because we're unrighteous, because we were born sinful. And he comes and he keeps the law perfectly so that he then dies on the cross taking your sin and my sin so that he would pay the penalty of it, rising victorious three days later. And then by faith... What we do, we receive that justification in his righteousness. And so by faith in what he has done, not what we do, we're then saved so that we would receive his righteousness by no effort of our own. That's the gospel. That's the gospel of grace that frees us from trying to keep the law out of a bondage and of slavery that we're unable to do so that we can now live by faith in Jesus. Look at verse 4. Now, verse 4, Paul is going to just paint this picture in very stark terms. Now, notice the structure, and I think I have it up here. It's important to try to see this at times. So here we have an, an ABA structure, just using that terminology for you. Um, notice how the, the text goes. You are severed from Christ. 
And then another A, you have fallen away from grace. So there's these two, you've been removed. You do not have the grace of Christ. You do not know Jesus. Who's he talking about? And then what we do is we find that in the middle of that structure. You'll see this throughout the Psalms all the time. You'll see this in Paul's letters. It's a chiastic structure where it goes A, B, A, some form of like that. And the middle part is going to give evidence of what the outer parts are really talking about. It's the main point. If you seek to be justified by the law, you've fallen from grace, you're severed from Christ. Showing the complete incompatibility of trying to trust in yourself for salvation versus trusting in the grace of Christ. The law offers no hope, no life, no joy, no happiness. It only shouts, do more, do more, do more, do more. And Paul is wanting the Galatians to feel that weight on them. And if you're here today and you're not trusted in Christ, then the other option is to trust in yourself. And say, well, I will earn my salvation. Or I don't believe in a God, and I can make that decision. And I will live by the way I want to live. And so you're either going to live by the way you believe is right, or you're going to trust in Jesus and believe and live in the way that he has called us to live. So if you're here today and you've not trusted in Jesus, I urge you to to consider the gospel. To consider, if you live By your own works, you're obligated to keep the entire law, a weight that you cannot bear, I cannot bear, that no one can bear, which is why Christ had to come. And so what then does it look like? Let's switch gears. What does it look like to live by the gospel of grace? And so the rest of the time, we're going to primarily spend in in verses 5 and 6. And what I want to do is just flesh these verses out. So we're just going to take them small parts at a time, and we're just going to look, what do we learn here? Now, what we learn here today is going to be foundational for the next two weeks. Really want you to see that. Please come back the next two weeks. Uh, I know you will, but I feel like I have to say that, um, because I really think this is like a foretaste of of right where Paul is taking us. It's been so good for me, and and we just don't have like four hours here today just to dive into all this. Um, We're going to park and other things, so... I urge you to come back and and wrestle with this text with us. Um, But what we're going to do, let me read verses 5 and 6, and then we'll take them a little bit by little bit at a time. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but but only faith working through love. So first, through the Spirit, by faith. Let's start there. Through the Spirit, by faith. Everything about the Christian life involves the Spirit and faith. Everything in the Christian life involves the Spirit and the faith. To prove this, uh, flip in your Bibles back to chapter 3, verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? When we hear with faith, when we heard the Word of God, we receive the Spirit. Go to verse 5. And we have, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, and this is the present active tense, does he who regularly supplies the Spirit, does he do this by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And so what we see every time we're hearing with faith, the Spirit is involved. The Christian life is all about the faith and the Spirit. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, then you have the Spirit of God 
dwelling in you right now. By faith, when you heard the word, you received the Spirit. And what we're seeing today, and what we'll see is faith produces love, and then later on we'll see the Spirit produces love. And so both of them are working in you to produce love, and we'll kind of wrestle with that. But what we receive is the Holy Spirit does not come by effort, does not come by works, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And what I want you to see right now is just the inseparable nature of faith and Spirit. Faith is the very conduit in which the Spirit comes to us and works in us. It is by faith in Jesus we trust that all that he has done for us is applied to us through the working of the indwelling power of the Spirit. There's nothing that the Spirit does apart from faith in Jesus, and there's no faith in Jesus that the Spirit does not work through. So to go back, Galatians Galatians 2.20, I live by faith in the Son of God. What that also means is I live by the power of the Spirit. To have faith in God is to be empowered by the Spirit. If I'm I'm coming to God by faith, then the Spirit is working through me. And so every time someone says, look, to live by faith, we're talking about being trusting in the Spirit who's transforming us to become more like Jesus. And so right now, just, that's kind of where we're going to leave that because we're going to bring that a lot more in the next two weeks. But faith and Spirit go hand in hand. To, tr- to have faith in Jesus is to be empowered by His Spirit. Um. Next, joy and anticipation. Look at verse 5. In verse 5, he then says, We ourselves eagerly wait. So, presently, the Christian life is full of joy because of what Jesus has done for us, and it's an eager anticipation of what awaits us. We have joy now because of what what. God, what Jesus has already done for us, in anticipation of what will be done. Now, to be clear, this does not mean that we have this rosy life all the time. As Christians, we do endure trials. We experience hardships. We experience death. We experience loss. We, we experience pain. So there is these things. So when Paul says, we're sitting here with joy, eagerly waiting, he's not just painting a picture of people who have no problems The Christian is not immune to trials and sufferings. In fact, if you were to take a snapshot of a Christian, often that picture would be fraught with difficulties, but the frame of that picture would be joy in Christ. The frame would be joy. So at times, the picture is very difficult. At times, it is very hard. At times, it's full of tears. But there's always joy around it. Why? Because we know what God has done for us. If we go back to chapter 4, I think John Wyatt, if you remember, he preached on this a couple weeks ago, and he talked about in chapter 4, verses 5, 6, and 7, how that we have been adopted into the, into the family of God. We've been given the Spirit of God, and the Spirit is in us crying out, Daddy, Abba, Father, all the time, and now we are co-heirs with Christ, meaning all that Christ possesses now by faith in him, we also possess. And so Paul painted this picture of you have everything in Jesus now because of what he has done for us. Amen, Amen indeed. Now do you see the difference here? The contrast in verses 2, 3, and 4, Paul paints this picture of just grimness. You want, you want the law? you got to keep all of it. 
You're severed from Christ. You're cut off from grace. There's no justification by the law because we can't bear that burden. But then we come over to the gospel of grace by, by faith through the Spirit, and he begins talking about the joy and the anticipation that we have. And we've already seen because of what Christ has done for us, but that's not all that he's done for us, right? There's also, we know that he's going to return in the future. And so Paul says, we have a hope. There's an eager anticipation of what's going to come in the future. And so let's look at that. The hope of righteousness. What is the hope of righteousness? You wrestle with that. You read that. Okay, we have the hope of righteousness. We need to make sure when we read our Bibles, look, when you're reading them on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and the days of the week and going through the Word, we don't just read and say, oh, that was good, close it, check the box and move on. We read to grow in knowledge and in the image of God so that then as we leave the Word, we're going out even more transformed in the image of Christ that we would know what that looks like. So when we come to... Okay, we have this hope and righteousness. We don't just read then verse 6. We're going to wait. Now, there's something Paul's letting us know here. Wait for the hope of righteousness. Well, for one, who is our righteousness? Interaction. Who is our, Jesus is our righteousness, right? He's the one who has made us righteous. So even right now, we, if you're here as a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been justified by faith. That's what Paul hits hard in chapter 2. You've been justified by faith, not by works of the law, so that no human would boast. And so we've been justified, we've been made righteous, and yet we also know we currently still struggle with sin, Right? So we are righteous. Our identity is in Christ. When God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ around us. And yet, on this earth right now, we know we're being made righteous. So both truths are true. We're, we are righteous and we are being made righteous. Both are true. And as we wait for the hope of righteousness, for Christ to return, he will then consummate what he has already given to us, meaning bring it to absolute fullness in us so that we who are righteous and are being made righteous will one day perfectly be righteous so that we will no longer struggle with sin, with temptation, with anger, with lust, with shame, with guilt, with anything that characterizes that of sin. This is what uh, John says in 1 John chapter 3. This is one of my favorite texts. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now. Okay, see that present reality? We are God's children now. We are justified. We are righteous now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, meaning Jesus, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Why? Why will we be like him, John? Because we'll see him as he is. There's a day coming when Christ returns. The hope of our righteousness, which is Christ, and then also the hope of our righteousness is that we will be made just like him. Fully and absolutely righteous. And so here he's painting this picture to the Galatians. You're righteous and you're looking forward to the day. You will no longer struggle with any temptation, with any sin, with any guilt, with any shame. All of those plagues will be forever erased he's painting this picture 
we have this joy, a full, constant joy in Christ that explodes into praise as we wait for our King to return, who has conquered the enemy to make a new heavens and new earth, that then we would be with Him forever. And on that day is our hope of righteousness, of not only being with Jesus, who is our righteousness, but we will be perfectly like Him. Isn't that good news? That's that's the gospel. That's the hope that we have. So what Paul is doing here is he's saying this is your hope and this isn't this wishy-washy hope like I hope it doesn't rain today because we all think that in Washington, right? Like even on a 94 day, it could rain. Like there's been days like this and it happened earlier this winter. Like this is apparently like the craziest winter that had ever been in Washington of what I've heard. Like you would go out and it's totally sunny and you're just like, oh, this is amazing. You feel the warmth. You go back inside. You know, you get baseball and mitt because you're going to play with your son. You come back out. It's raining. You're like, that's crazy. So you go back inside, put the baseball mitt up. You look outside. It's, it's sunny again. You know, like that was winter here, right? And you're like, I hope it just stays sunny for like 15 minutes. But you have no confidence. I mean, you have no idea. And then one time, it was this year, wasn't it? We go to Panera on the west side, and this, this is just so cool. So out of, like, we're facing one direction. This window, it's raining and dark. The other window, it's bright and sunny. And my kids are like, does this make sense? I have no idea. Do you ever think God's just having fun with us? I kind of just wonder, especially here in Washington. But, but like, so this hope they have is not a wishy-washy hope because it's built upon past grace. So it's built upon the fact that God's redemption plan was that he would send his son Jesus to die on the cross. Jesus died on the cross that he would save a people, not might save a people, he would save a people that one day he would return for. We know he's coming because he came and died. He would not have died if he was not going to return again for a people. So now, as we look forward to the return of Jesus, our confidence is rooted in the past grace of what Jesus has done for us. You see how that works? The past grace fuels our confidence for future grace. And if you want a whole book about that, that is probably one of the best books you will ever read as a Christian. Uh, read John Piper's book called Future Grace. That's what it's all. All Present obedience, he will argue, is rooted in future grace, which is fueled by past grace. It's an amazing book on how he roots all things into the grace of God. But to say all that, we have confidence there is a day coming. There's times it doesn't feel like that. There's times when we look at the news, we kind of wonder, is anything going to happen? Is Christ going to return? But we know from Scripture, a day is coming. The hope of our righteousness not only that jesus comes but that we will be made just like him think of this like a like a child he's he's inherited um, a great fortune but he's not old enough to quite possess it now he possess or he's not old enough to actually um manage it to, to touch all of it but he does own it all he owns all of it but he doesn't quite have his hands around all of it at this moment because he's too young. But a day is coming, maybe it was when he's 16 or 18, when that inheritance he will fully possess. Now, he already owned it, but he will fully possess it. That's like us right now. We are righteous. We are righteous. 
and yet we're being made righteous and to the point where one day when Christ returns and we will experience the fullness of all that we have already been given in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? We already have it all. It's been given to us in Christ. We don't improve on the cross, but yet when Christ returns, that's when we get it in its absolute, complete fullness. You see the joy that's there that Paul's painting? He's like, you want the law? There's no hope. It just says do more. The gospel, there's joy, there's anticipation, there's the spirit and faith working in you. Let's look at the last one now as we go to verse 6. We're going to see that we are to, uh, we are to love others. In verse 6, Paul reminds us, look, circumcision, not being circumcised, counts for nothing. The word count there means power. It has, there's no power. So, so don't think that if you're getting circumcised or uncircumcised, that, that does anything for you or, or really for anyone else. But what does he say then? What does count? For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But what? What does count, Paul? But only faith working through love. Faith working through love. So what does it look like to have faith in Jesus and be saved by the gospel? It means we love. We love others. Go down to verse 13 and 14. Paul clearly says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Everything about the Christian life is love. Our faith produces love. Our faith holds on to Jesus, which we've already seen, and then the Spirit works through this faith that we become more like Jesus, and then we would love others like Jesus loves. Go down to... Uh, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is what? You guys are so eager. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, right? I mean, yes, love, joy, peace, patience, but let's just start. Love. Most likely, love is placed at the beginning as an overarching look over all these others, but he produces love. Well, wait, what does faith produce? Go back to verse 6, love. What does spirit produce? Love. Again, faith and spirit always working together. Faith is the conduit in which the spirit works. And so when Paul says faith working through love, it's the spirit working through that faith that we would love like Jesus loves. In other words, by faith in Jesus through, this, through the power of the spirit, we love like Jesus loves. Now you might say here, <clears throat> I'm not a very loving person. Have you ever thought that? I'm not very good at loving people. Or you might just say, I'm not much of a people person. So does that rule you out? Are you in a special category? No, that's okay. Because by faith in Jesus, you're being made to love like Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how extroverted you are, introverted you are, how many friends you have, don't have, if you feel like you're good with people or not. The Spirit, by faith, the Spirit is working in you to bring about that you would love others as Jesus loves. To say you cannot love is to deny what literally Jesus is doing in you through the faith and the Spirit that he has placed in you. We've been saved that we would love like Jesus. That's what it looks like to have faith in Jesus empowered by the Spirit. And this isn't something that you might say, 
well, do I have to do that? Is that something I should do? Um, how important is this? <clears throat> well, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. You've got to love John because he just kind of says things in very black and white um, letters. He says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For, who he, does not for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So we're given a command, right? But yet also we're already told, this is what the faith and spirit is doing in you. So we're not told, look, you just got to muster up enough love. If only you're strong enough, then you can love. No, the faith that you have in Christ, which is what the spirit is working through, is leading you to love others. So when we come across a command, we know the grace has already been given that we would be able to do this command. You see what that is? You see that relationship? It's not love others, love enough. It's God's working in you that you would love, therefore love others. So do you want to know if you're running well in Christ? Do you want to know if you're being hindered? One of the best things we can say is, am I loving others? Do I love those who do not love me? Do I love those who are difficult? You see, the world, it only loves those who love, who, it only loves, those who love them. It, it, it's a self-serving agenda, meaning I love you as long as you meet some need. But if you cease to meet that need, I don't need you. And that's what we see in the world. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. That's the other terminology for it. This is why in verse 15, Paul warns the Galatians about biting and devouring one another. When we operate by the law, we're saying, look, I need to prove myself. I need to earn this. I need to demonstrate my worth. And you are now my obstacle or my hurdle. I will get around you. I will go over you. Whatever it is, I use you to make much of me, which is what we saw. Was that last week in your text, Andrew? That was last week. Did you preach last week? You preached two weeks ago, last week, in the text that Andrew preached in verse uh, 16 or 17. They make much of you that you might make much of them. That's what we read in chapter 4, 17. But now, in Jesus, I'm freed from trying to serve myself. I'm free from trying to make much of my kingdom. Now, I can live as God originally created me, that I might love others. And so, and so listen, if you're, a, if you're a dad here, you come home to your house, and there's chaos in the house, and they're not all, like your family is just not on their knees ready to worship you as you've come in, you know, saying, Dad, thanks for working so hard. We just really want to make your time easy now. But, but maybe there's chaos. Maybe there's like World War VI, you know, because you already missed like three, four, and five. Um, and, and the wife just like throws something at you here. They're your kids. I don't know them. What do you do at that moment? Based upon the circumstance, do we say, well, I guess I'm angry and I'm upset? No, because by faith through the Spirit now, we're able to love at that moment. Not because you're so strong, not because you're so amazing, but because that's what the Spirit's doing in you, that we can love others. Circumstances no longer dictate how we act. But there's a power working inside of us because of our faith in Jesus that now the Spirit is making us like God him and so if, if you're if you work and, and you have that person who just kind of jabs you all the time that person you're just like i wish they're sick today and then they're not and you cringe do you have to return 
hatred for hatred, evil for evil. No, why? Because now Christ has freed you from protecting yourself, freed you from defending yourself, freed you from making much of your kingdom at all times that you might do what now? Love. And so now God has created a mission opportunity for you to love like he loves because how did he love us when we loved him? No, go back to Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. He loves us when we were his enemies. So see, God's not about changing your circumstances necessarily. He does at times, right? And it's okay to pray for the change of circumstances. But what does God do? He changes us through the circumstances. So he does. He brings difficult people in our life to do what? To expose pride, to expose areas where we might be hindered and we didn't know. So what would happen? We would repent and then live as he calls us to. So do you see it? Now when you're coming into these situations, what's happening is you're not, you're seeing how much God loves you because he's changing you in all these circumstances. Because he's making you to love more like he loves. Um, Let me give two qualifications about loving others real quick. Verse 11, Paul says he's still being persecuted. It appears the Galatians might have said, guys, you should be circumcised. Paul even teaches circumcision. Now, just so you know, all false teaching, all false gospels are illogical once you press them to a certain point. They all fall, they all fail the logic test. Here, they're saying, Paul actually teaches circumcision. But what have they been saying the entire letter? Paul doesn't teach circumcision, you need to be circumcised. So Paul's saying, look, why am I being persecuted if I teach, if I teach circumcision? Like, That's ridiculous. At that point, the offense of the cross would be removed. The offense of the cross is that Jesus comes and saves us by grace. And so, um, just... One qualification on love, just because we love others doesn't mean they love us, right? Jesus wasn't loved by everyone. Paul wasn't loved by everyone. There will still be those who push against you because the cross is offensive. Now, that doesn't mean we say, well, you don't love me. Write them off. We want to do that, right? But that's not what Christ does, and that's not what the Spirit is doing in us. Now, we have a great opportunity to show the type of love that the gospel demonstrates for us. Um, So that's just qualification number one. Our love is not based upon others loving us. We clearly see that others will not love us, but the Spirit's working in us to love. Number two, let us not wrongly think about love. Uh, Come down to verse 12. See, a lot of people think love is is always gentle, always soft-spoken, always pretty, a little bow on it. It kind of gives it a mushy kind of loving feel all the time. That's not love. I mean, love is sometimes like that, but that's not all that love is. Look at verse 12. Paul says, I just wish these guys would emasculate themselves. Do I need to paint a picture? Like, do we, do we get it? They're saying, guys, you need to be circumcised. And Paul's saying, just cut it all off, buddy. Just cut it off. Be done with these people. I hate these people. I mean, that's what it's coming down to. Now, now think about it. Is this loving? Now, Paul says, faith produces love. I wish they'd emasculate themselves. Did Paul just contradict himself? Careless reading would say he does. But this isn't even new to Paul. Paul Paul mentions tough things. In fact, if you go to Galatians 1, verse 6, uh, all those who teach a false doctrine should be accursed. But let's even go to someone else, like Jesus, in chapter 17, verse 2 of Luke. 
It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. So Jesus, who is love, and we're being made like Jesus, says, look, one of these people want to lead my little children away from the gospel, away from trusting in me. It'd be better if they have a giant rock tied around them and go throw them in the ocean. They would drown and die. Those are the words of Jesus. Paul sounds very much like Jesus in that light, right? So, so what is this? Well, what we see is that true love is not always soft, but it's at times firm. It's fierce. It's protective. Think about the love you have for your spouse, for your children. Is that, I mean, it's loving and gentle, but if someone comes and attacks your children, are you just soft and mushy? Oh, we should just love that person. You're protective and you're fierce. Paul loves the church. This is how we are to love one another. We love one another with this gentleness. But if somebody comes and tries to remove, lead into false teaching, we're fierce. Now, this doesn't mean we're unloving. We just try to throw things and hurt people. But we're fierce in this love and that we want to protect and bring them back. We want to see them continue to grow like Jesus Let's not have a wrong understanding of what love is. We're going to speak more about love uh, in the next uh, couple of weeks. We're going to look at verses 13, 14, 15 next week. And then the following week, we'll look at what it is to live by the Spirit and see how the Spirit is producing this love in us. But as we close, I want to ask you, are you running well? Are you running by faith? Are you running and enjoy anticipation of what Jesus has done for you and what he's going to be doing for you? A key indicator of our faith in Jesus is how we love others. Now again, if you're right now, you're sitting there going, I'm so not loving. This is a good, like repent. This is an act of faith right now. When you repent, you're demonstrating your love and submission to Jesus. And as you do that, God's working in you that not only would you love him, but that you would love others. So repentance is a good thing. And as we close, I just want to give a moment as we pray for you to, for you to be praying and wrestling and repenting if necessary. But I, I want to just kind of address us as a church. Um, I, I think we do a fairly good job on loving one another. I, I think we do good. In fact, most of the people, when they come here, they say, well, your, your church is loving. It's obviously you, you love one another. But I don't want us to then think, Check the box like we're good, but rather every week we should be growing in this love. Every week we should be growing in our fervor for one another. We should not be content to only talk to our one or two people, but we should continually be meeting new people, encouraging people. Sundays is a great opportunity for us to love one another, for us to, to see one another, but it's a great opportunity for us then to set up other times. Hey, would you come over to my house on you know, whatever day, and meet and talk and just encourage. Let us grow in this love. This is what the Spirit's doing in us. If we're going to be a light, not only here in this community, but in Thurston County, and if God is going to continue to use us, and we send people like Peggy and Poland and hopefully many others uh, into the mission field, the way we shine brightly is by faith, and that faith is shown through the working of the Spirit, which produces love in us. So I just want to encourage us. I think we do a good job on loving one another, but I don't want to be content with where we are at right now. I want us to keep growing, keep demonstrating this act of love. Husbands, look at how you continually love your children and your wife. Ch wives, continually look at how do I grow in loving my family more. Children, 
You are an awesome means of sanctifying your parents. And look at how you get to love them more also. So I encourage you, let us keep growing. Let it be a prayer of you, especially us as a church, especially as we go through the next weeks. God, help me to better understand love and how it's connected to faith in the Spirit and help me to love like you love. I'm going to give a moment, uh, and then we're going to go into uh, communion. But just take a moment, and I, I just want you to just spend a moment praying. It's just going to be a few seconds, and, and then I'll pray, and then, we'll, and then I'll have the guys come up, and we're going to do communion. Go ahead and take a moment, and, and just pray to God about wherever you're at and whatever he's leading you to do. Father, you've given us your son, you've given us your spirit, you've literally given us everything that you possess. You make us co-heirs, you've adopted us into your family. Oh, this is good news, this is good news, and it's not even over yet. We still have the hope of our righteousness, looking forward to the day that you return. And God, I just pray, I pray that as we better understand the gospel of grace and how we are saved by grace through faith in Christ for your glory that God you would help us better understand how we love right now how this joy how this hope looks right now and it's shown in the fact that we love one another so father I just pray help us to love help us to grow in love may we be known for our love God, we thank you for what you're doing in this church. God, if there's anyone here who does not know you, may they trust in you this morning and know that you are Lord, that you are King, and that you died so that we could be forgiven. In your name, Jesus, amen. Go ahead and have the menu.